Romans chapter 3, this is week 5 of a series we've called Aftermath. And if you're joining us for the first time, this is a, what we're doing in this series is learning about ministry and life in the aftermath of tragedy. And really, it's, we're kind of, as a, as a globe, we're less in the aftermath and more, I guess you would say, in the middle math, you know? We're still dealing with, with all that's happening in our world. And, and in many ways, whether it's a pandemic or racism or an election or whatever it is that we're dealing with, in many ways, we'll be dealing with many things until Jesus comes back. That's just the reality. So we have to learn how to live in the middle of it. And we have, to, we, we have to admit, all of us, that in some way, we have been impacted by all that's happening in our world today. Everything from quarantine to social distancing to all of the, the, the challenges and obstacles that we face, the media-driven panic that is everywhere that we look. And everybody's got their stance on things and People, you know, it just feels like a more divided time than ever. And we just have to own that this has impacted all of us in some way. Some financially, all of us in some way emotionally, spiritually, this has been challenging for so many. And so we have to, we have to admit that. And, and what we've been doing in this series is the first three weeks of the series, we focus kind of primarily on the church, Christians. What do we do now? after all of this and how do we how do we begin to rebuild and le- beginning last week we kind of turned a corner and the the second half of this series these last 3 weeks are focusing more now on providing the best ongoing care that we can possibly provide. As you guys know, when a tragedy sweeps through an area, when a tornado hits, a a tsunami hits, something like that, there's the immediate things that have to be done. But then long after the news crews are gone, there's a lot of ongoing long-term care that's needed. And that's kind of the section of the series that we're in. And I just believe that the best care that the church can provide is hope that's only found in Jesus. Amen? We, we just believe that as a church, that's why we exist. The church in many ways is a, is a hospital for the spiritually hurting. So this is a place where people can, can hobble in and limp in and some have to be dragged in. And this is a place where you can find hope and life in the name of Jesus. But then what's so cool is that we, we want to have you join our team of no, nurses and doctors that help reach the lost, the people who are also hurting and, but what's interesting is if we talk about ongoing care, when you mingle souls and emotions, it gets really complicated, doesn't it? I mean, emotions by themselves, it's complicated. Speaking of complicated, my son is six, and he loves building Legos right now. That's his thing. So parents, I don't know if you've recently bought a Lego kit, but they are far more complicated than what I remember them being. It is literally, I'm not even exaggerating, the last one that we bought was 50 or 60 pages of how to build this thing. I mean, it had chapters. I felt like there's probably some characters and a plot twist in here somewhere. It was like more novel than manual, you know? I almost wonder if Lego is trying to compete with Ikea for complexity. (laughs) they're, They're doing a great job with it. So when we talk about the the level of complexity of of certain things, you would think if Legos and an Ikea nightstand are as complex to deal with as they are, then when we get to our topic today of dealing with the salvation of the human soul, then surely it's ultra complicated, right? 
That's what you might think. But I want to share a message with you today from God's Word, starting in Romans chapter 3, that I hope will clarify to you that it's much more simple than we make it. In fact, here's the title of the message today. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. The Scandalously Simple Gospel. The gospel, by the way, just so that we're on the same page, gospel means good news. So what I'm here to, to, to help you understand today is that the good news of the gospel is that salvation for your soul is so simple, it's almost scandalous. What I mean by that is there's going to be some, there are some who hear the message of the cross and they just go, that's too good to be true. There's just no way. In fact, our human tendency is to overcomplicate what God made very, very simple. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's simple. There's a difference. So I guess to to sum it up, I would say that the good news of the good news is that you don't need a seminary degree to understand salvation for your soul, either for you or a friend that you're sharing it with today. And so I want to share today a message that is going to focus on four verses, literally four verses. And you could expound on these verses a little bit, but I'm going to give you four today. These verses are commonly referred to as the Romans road to salvation. We're going to start in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, and we're just going to journey very quickly through a few of these series of verses that will help us understand the simplistic message of the gospel, that it is scandalously simple how we come to faith in Christ and are saved from our sin. And so uh, let me just address the two crowds who are in the room or, or online watching with us today. First of all, if you're a follower of Jesus, listen, this message is just for you as it is, just as much for you as it is for anybody else. And I I would say for one reason, it's because if we ever lose the awe of our story of salvation, then we're on dangerous ground. And so I'm praying today would remind you of the beauty of salvation. But secondly, I'm praying today would equip you to share the story of salvation with somebody else. I promise you, if you will write down these four verses that I share with you today, they're so easy. In fact, if you grew up in church, you've, you probably already know these verses. You've heard them a lot. You may have for years or decades had these, had these verses in your head, but I hope that they'll get in our hearts today and be on our lips ready to share. Now, if you don't know Jesus, oh man, you're in for a good day. Because I believe God brought you here. I believe you clicked on a link today. I believe you joined the watch party today for this purpose. It wasn't just to come to church today. It wasn't just because you heard there were some good-looking girls here. It wasn't just because whatever the motivation was that you came here. Whatever you got to do to get here. But listen, I believe God brought you here for an eternal purpose. I believe that you're listening to this message because God wants to change your life today. And I'm praying that would happen. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. I'm going to give you three verses, four verses. And we're going we're to journey through the Romans road of salvation, and we're going to learn the simplistic message of the gospel. Starts right here in Romans 3.23. Christians, especially, you've got to take notes. Write this down. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Pretty simple, right? Now let's take a right. Romans 6. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23. Now take a left, Romans 5.8. 
But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8. Now take a hard right, Romans 10, verse 9. Paul puts it this way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Isn't that simple? So why do we make this so complicated? Let me break this down for you. I, I want to go back to Romans chapter 3, and we're just going to kind of quickly journey through each of these verses to understand their importance in our lives. Ro- let's start in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. I got three thoughts that I want you to write down and take home today. Number one, we've got to start here. Sin is a universal problem with eternal consequences. We have to start with this in mind. Now, when we talk about sin... I don't want to assume that we're all on the same page when it comes to sin. That I, I don't want to assume that you know what I'm talking about when I say that. So let me clarify. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short. In fact, the phrase fall short is a really great visual of what it might look like to sin. It ultimately means missing the mark. So if you think about it, if God's glory, it says we've all fallen short of God's glory. If God's glory is the bullseye, then anything that doesn't hit the bullseye is sin. Does that make sense? Maybe it would help if I illustrate, okay? So watch this. Uh, Right under your seat, I have some darts. Could you grab those? You didn't even know they were there. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I want to illustrate that when when, when the the gospel, when we make it, thank you, Devin, the, the bullseye is God's glory, okay? So here's what I want to do. Any decision that I make that does not hit dead center, now that's going to be pretty hard for me to not hit right on the bullseye, but I'll try. You don't believe me? Okay. So any decision that I make in my life, that you make in your life, that doesn't hit dead center God's glory would be sinful, You're like, but it was a triple 15. I thought it was a pretty good decision. Sin. Missed the mark. So you're making decisions about life. You're making decisions about marriage. You're making decisions about your job. You're making decisions about whatever it is in your life. And guess what? Every single one of them missed the mark. Now, that doesn't mean you'll never hit it. That just means it's it's a very high standard. So what, what, what Paul is trying to say here is a very simple truth. All of us have made decisions, taken actions in our lives that no matter what our motives were, no matter how hard we tried, we tried so hard to hit it right on the bullseye of God's glory, and for whatever reason, we missed it. Paul says, anytime you don't hit the bullseye, that's sin. Does that make sense for you? Are you seeing it? So what, what we have to understand is that there's going to be times where we, where we hit it, but there's going to be many times in our lives where we're off. And the Bible says, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short, missed the mark of God's glory. Now, why does that matter? Well, I want you to, I want you to think about it this way. Sin falls short of God's glory because sinning is living for my glory. 
This is why it falls short of God's glory. Because when I make a sinful decision or I make a sinful action in my life, I got upset and I reacted. I said something I regretted. I I did something. You know exactly. Fill in the blank in your own life. When I do that, I'm living for my glory, not God's glory. This is why Paul says, all have sinned and fall short. Don't hit the bullseye of God's glory. And, And let me also clarify, he's not saying that this is just like a struggle that we have sometimes. He's also not saying that this is just a birth defect that we shouldn't think twice about. The language literally in Romans 3.23, here's what he's saying. All have sinned and all continue to sin. All have sinned and fall short. The language that he's using here, the verbiage is we've sinned and we continue to do so. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. It's It's a pretty simple and yet sad reality. Now, there's a lot of theology that we could unpack here in this moment. We go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and the original sin, the entrance of sin into the human race. We could talk about literally millions and billions of ways that we have come up with to sin. We've become very, very good at it, unfortunately. I think of Romans chapter 1 that has a list of about a few dozen sins. And one of them, it's interesting, Romans 1, I believe it's verse 29, says, inventors of evil. Like, we weren't satisfied with all of the ways that we could sin, and we've come up with new ways. That's who we are. We've sinned, and we are continuing to fall short of God's glory. We could talk about all that. We could talk about the theology of the devil and sin and temptation. And, but here's the most important thing that you have to understand. Come on, get a, let's get this in our heads today. That sin is universal. Hear me closely. It is universal and detrimental. It's not something to play around with. Missing the mark of God's glory has devastating consequences. And this is where Romans 6.23 comes in. If you're in the book of Romans, take a right. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Every time you miss the bullseye, the wage, the thing you've earned for that sin is death. Now, I imagine somebody's like, I thought you said this was going to be a message of good news. So, like, when can we get on? The world's got enough bad news. When can we get on with the good news? And I I understand that. But let me just clarify why we have to start with the bad news. The good news is only good news when you understand the bad news. Come on, does that make sense? Like, your friend doesn't care that you think they need to be saved until they realize they need to be saved. They couldn't care less about salvation until they realize that they're drowning. Your friend thinks they're swimming. You're trying to throw them a life preserver, but you have to convince them first that there's a need for the life preserver. The bad news, we don't keep it, we we don't say the bad news to condemn people. We just say the bad news as a setup to the good news. Good news is coming. Here it is. Point number two. Write this down. Jesus died so you don't have to. Come on, that's good news. Did anybody hear what I said? Jesus died so you don't have to. So I don't have to die. Jesus died 
in our place. This is the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross. He took it so you and I don't have to. Let me put it to you this way. We owed a debt that we could never pay, so Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe. You could also say that God treated Jesus like we deserve to be treated, so he could treat us like Jesus deserved to be treated. Jesus died, so you don't have to. So Romans 6.23 is interesting. It says the wages of sin is death, but, now here's the good news, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the problem when it says that the free gift of God. Your mom probably told you this growing up, and she was right. Ain't nothing in life free. Right? Anybody else? Your mom told you that, and you were like, well, that's not true, because I went down to Starbucks the other day, and I had 97,000 points, and so I brought one small Frappuccino, and I got it for free. You're like, well, okay. Maybe you think it's free. But the 27 Frappuccinos you bought previously paid for that quote-unquote free Frappuccino. Like, let Starbucks make you think that it's free. It's not free. You paid for it, believe me. You're like, well, okay, maybe. But I'm on the Buffalo Wild Wings uh, list, and I saved up my points, and I got a whole thing of free. No, no, no. They're not free. You paid for them many times over by the time you ate. But, man, didn't they feel good because you thought they were free? Sorry to burst your balloon today. You paid for them. Listen, salvation isn't free either. You're like, no, but I, I, thought, I thought we couldn't earn it. No, I didn't say you could earn it. I'm just saying it's not free. Salvation is free for us because it costs Jesus everything. Somewhere, somebody always pays for it. Nothing actually is free. Even if it maybe is free for you, somebody somewhere paid for it. In this case, for the salvation of our soul, Jesus paid the price that you and I would never be able to afford to pay. It's free for us, kind of. It's free because Jesus already bought it. Does that make sense? He paid the price. Jesus died so we don't have to. And then maybe the question is, so the wages of sin is death, free gift of, Jesus, uh, of, free gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why did Jesus have to die? Maybe that's a question in somebody's mind today. Let me take you back to the beginning of Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Wages. Paycheck is another way you could put it. The thing that is earned because of some work. Here's the idea. Apart from Christ, we live under the slave master of sin. And as we live a life of sin, the paycheck we are earning is death. You earned death. I earned death. But you know what's so interesting about Romans 6.23 is that eternity is in black and white on both sides of this verse. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of eternal life is Christ. In God is is Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life. So listen. Death is earned. Eternal life is given. See the difference? We earned death. We are deserving of death. Eternal separation from God. One missed bullseye. 
the wage of our sin, the payment of our sin. Now, you're like, I imagine somebody's like, but I don't always miss the bullseye, and really, I feel like I live a pretty good life, and I'm pretty moral, and I know a lot of other people who are not nearly as nice or moral of a person that I am. Let me just remind you later on in the New Testament, the book of James, written by Jesus' half-brother, James says, if you miss one part of the law, you're guilty of it all. One missed bullseye ever in your life. The wage of your sin is death. So what I love about this is that our choice for eternity is right here in black and white. Listen, let me, let me spell it out very clear. You either spend eternity paying for your sin. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. Those are the wages we've earned for our sin. Or we accept the free gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's up to us. We make a decision of where we're heading for eternity. Now, just in case somebody's like, well, I understand what you're saying, but I don't know that Jesus actually died for me. Like, you have no idea how bad of a person that I am. Let let me take you left on the Romans road. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Come on, that's good news. Amen? While we were still sinners, undeserving, running away from God, he sent his only son. Why? Because he wanted to show us that he loves us. He wasn't waiting around for us to love him. We love him because he first loved us. While we were still sinners, completely undeserving, do not lose the awe of this. Let me just, for a moment, let me speak to just the Christian who's, who's within the hearing of my voice. Listen. We can get years and decades down the road of following Jesus, and I believe we need to regularly go back to the most basic principle of our salvation. Don't get so hopped up and high on theology that you forget where God took you from. Come on. You were broken. You were addicted. You were in a pit that you dug for yourself. And God looked at you and said, man, in the middle of that mess, you are to die for. And then he spread his arms on the cross and he proved it. Don't ever lose the awe of your salvation. When you, were, when, you, when you and I were sinners, God showed his love for us by sending Jesus. Number three, would you write this down? Salvation through Jesus requires surrender to Jesus. Now, I'm going to say something. I feel like I need to prep you with this. I'm about to say something that if you edit it just by itself in a YouTube video, I'm going to get calls that I'm a heretic, okay? So let's keep it in context here, all right? Here's what I want you to understand about the the death of Jesus Christ and our response to it. Jesus' death was not enough on its own for our salvation. Now listen, follow me on this logic. I'm not saying that Jesus didn't pay enough. Jesus' death paid more than enough for our salvation. But it requires a personal decision. Otherwise, his death 
that was far more than what your sin needed to be paid for, that his death is rendered useless in our lives. Does this make sense? I'm not a heretic, I promise. Listen, Jesus' death on its own without your personal decision doesn't pay for your sin. It's more than enough to pay for your sin, but it can't pay for your sin until there is surrender between you and Jesus. And that's what renders the transaction successful. I, I, let, me, let me put it another way. We recognize Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just because we're sinners and just because Jesus died doesn't mean we're forgiven. Just because a sacrifice for our sin exists doesn't mean that my sin is taken away. I'm trying to prove, I'm trying to come at this a few different angles so that this sinks in because there are people all the time who think that they they recognize this truth. They maybe even accept the truth that Jesus died on the cross. They're pretty good moral people. Maybe they would even admit that they've fallen short of God's glory. But, But until there is a personal decision that is made. It doesn't matter that Jesus died because you can't be forgiven until you've surrendered to him. Does this all make sense? It's it's required. And and this is why we're, we're about to get to Romans 10 here in just a moment, but I feel like I just need to drive home this point that it's it's scandalously simple, the gospel. And I'll give, it, I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt if you haven't made this decision yet to follow Jesus. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you've been majorly overcomplicating it in, in your own mind. Because we all have, this is human tendency. When something seems easy, we just go, oh, that's too good to be true. There's no way. How could that, how could that be? And so we easily overcomplicate things. Let me, just, let me just boil this down and make it, let me, let me put the cookies on the bottom shelf, okay? Listen, it's as simple as... Uh, one of the first things you learned as a little kid, the ABCs. Three, three words, if you can remember this. A, admit that you're a sinner. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. B, believe that Jesus died for you and resurrected. Romans 6.23, wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Admit, believe it, and then Romans 10, 9, we'll get to in just a moment, confess it. Confess it out loud. Say it with your mouth, Paul is saying. Confess that you admit that, that you believe it, and then you're confessing it. It says it's literally as simple as the ABCs, but we, because we're humans, want to overcomplicate what God has made so simple. And you're going to run into somebody that goes, well, it's not quite that easy, the ABCs. Don't forget the rest of the letters. D stands for dunk. they got to get baptized, right? And E stands for every Sunday church attendance because if they're not in church all the time, then I don't know about their salvation. And you know that F and G stands for financial generosity because they better be giving, right? We just keep going. We just keep going, right? And this is what we do. We do this all the time. We overcomplicate what God has made scandalously simple. It's so simple. Listen, admit that you're a sinner. Can we do that? Then can you say that you believe in Jesus? Then say it out loud, Romans 10, 9, you will be saved. And you're like, I know there's lots of other pieces to fill into the story. That'll come. But salvation in that moment when you believe in Christ and his resurrection and you confess it, when that happens, the Bible says, Romans 10, 9, salvation has taken place. 
It's that simple, right? Scandalously simple, isn't it? Don't overcomplicate what the Bible makes so simple. Come on, let's take a hard right. Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Not if you got baptized the right way at the right church with the right people at the right time. Not if you gave enough money. Not if you attended church enough times. Listen, all of that, we could talk about all that later. But it just starts with you just saying, I get it. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus is the Savior. I'm confessing it out loud. Christian, hear me on this. Your job and my job is not to walk around evaluating the legitimacy of somebody's salvation. That is the job of our Savior. That is the job of the Holy Spirit to convict them. And of course, we disciple. And of course, we come along them, uh, uh, alongside. And of course, we walk together in life. And of course, we call each other out in love when we see something. You call me out. I call you out. This is love. This is what we do as a family. But it's not our job to walk around like arms crossed. I don't know if he's actually saved. That's not your job. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Here's what we do. We share the gospel. We love people in the middle of whatever they're dealing with. We point them back to Jesus, and we let Jesus do the changing. That's his job. That's not our job. I think too many times Christians turn into these, like, sheepdogs, nipping at the ankles of the sheep, trying to get him in line. Come on, knock it off. Let the shepherd do his job. He's the good shepherd. He goes after, when, when the one leaves, guess what? He goes, hey, 99, I'll be back. I got to go check. I got to go catch this one. Come on, that's our good shepherd. Let's stop pretending like we're the ones who have the lockdown on the authority of who's, who's saved and who's not. That's not our job. This is scandalously simple. Let's not overcomplicate what God has made so crystal clear simple. In just a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and I'm going to invite you into, for those of you who don't yet know Jesus, I'm going to invite you into a relationship with Jesus. And then here's what I'm going to do. It's the same thing I do almost every single week here. I'm going to lead you in a prayer out loud. And maybe some of you have wondered, why is it that I, that I do that? I do that for a couple reasons. Number one, you didn't even know this, but I've been for years now as I've led you through this, I've been training you on how to pray with your friends to receive Christ. You're welcome. You didn't even know. You're welcome. <laughs> That's for free. But, but here's, here's the second reason. Here's the second reason I do this. Romans 10.9. If you believe in your heart and you confess it with your mouth, Confess, that word confess means agree or to say publicly. It carries with it the idea that you would say something out loud that could be heard. Now that, let's not take this too far. It's not like if you, if you say it the right way or the, the right volume or whatever, that that's a, a work that saves you. That's not it. But I, I do believe that there's something powerful for you, for me, 
to hear ourselves say with our own mouth, I'm a sinner, I'm turning from my sin, and I'm going to follow Jesus. I think there's something powerful when you hear yourself say those words about yourself. So I don't think, I think it makes sense that the Bible says, don't just believe it in your heart, but are you willing to say it where somebody could hear you say it? And then the other, the whole other part of the conversation is, now what do you do? Because let, let me just remind you, when you put your faith in Christ, that's not the finish line. That's the starting line. You're not done when you put your faith in Christ. When you get saved from your sin, now you don't kick up your feet and coast to heaven. Now it's game on. You're not at the finish line. You're at the starting line of a life that really has purpose now. Can any Christians agree with me on that? Right? When, when, we, get to, when we put our faith in Christ, man, that's when life begins. So, for everybody who's already a follower of Jesus, there are many of us here, many of us watching online, you're already a follower of Jesus. If that's you, I hope this has reminded you of the simplicity of the gospel in your life and in the lives of somebody else that you're going to share the the message with. But if you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you into a relationship with him. And and ultimately, it's not me so much inviting you in, it's, it's Jesus but the Bible says, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we are ambassadors for Christ. And it's almost like God is begging you through me, be reconciled to Christ. Come just with whatever it is that you have and put your faith in Christ. If you'll believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth, Romans 10, 9, you will be saved. You can know today where you're going to spend eternity. That's good news. Amen?